Hello, everyone. Welcome to Bat Ass Podcast, the Batman the Animated Series show podcast, where we talk about Batman the Animated Series, or in this case, Batman Beyond. My name is Clay McCormick, and with me, as always, is Sean Murphy. How you doing, Sean? Good, man. I uh, finally am able to get into Zorro and feel like I've beat my insecurity. Um, I'll talk about this more at the second half of this podcast, because people love when I, they seem to love when I talk about insecurity because it's very mm-hmm. uh everyone can empathize with that and um man i thought that zorro jumping into zorro after batman would be easy because you've got a character who wears black on black and blah 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 but as i dove into toth's zorro it started to get in my head and part of me is like man toth's awesome and then part of me is like fuck you toth um <laughs> so and i'm i feel like i'm studying his art in a way i never have before because you're i'm sort of following in his footsteps Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on Toth and good and bad things, so we, we can get into that later. Luckily, luckily, he's dead, so he can't defend himself. Well, and also you're tackling the, your fear of flat-brimmed hats. Yes, exactly. Which I think a simple very, very brave would, of you. We would take care of it. I mean, he used to freehand that shit. I use an ellipse because yeah. we've got the time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, today we're going to be talking about two episodes, Terry's Friend Dates a Robot and Eyewitness. So we'll take a quick break and we'll be back with Terry's Friend Dates a Robot. I wonder what that one is about. Down, girlfriend. I hope I wasn't out of line with that Robo-Bim crack. All right, Terry's Friend Dates a Robot, story by Paul Dini, teleplay by John P. McMahon, directed by Dan Reba, and in this one, Howard Groot, a hopeless nerd, purchases an illegal android in the form of a beautiful girl to pose as his girlfriend. His plan soon backfires when Cynthia, programmed to be completely devoted to Howard, becomes dangerously possessive. Note, this was the last episode to use traditional cell animation before the transition to animation with digital ink and paint. Ooh. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. I did feel like both of these episodes looked really good. Yeah. Uh, Whatever reason. The animation was definitely dialed up. Yeah, the second one I had read as I was watching it that it was the first one to be digitally painted. And I don't know if I would have noticed it without reading that, but I was paying closer attention and, and it does the it it looks pretty close but there are some mm-hmm. a lot of the uh, uh fire effects and stuff feel a little different mm-hmm. but uh i don't think i don't think i would have noticed if, if it hadn't been pointed out it was good. yeah um so this one starts out with uh giving the classic version of the Riddler more screen time than I think he got in the entirety of the new Batman Adventures. I know it's immediately more exciting when you include the original Batman stuff, and I know they yeah. were purposefully leaning away, but this this backs up my theory. It's like why why not dive into that stuff? More? Yeah, I, it's it's uh, getting into the episode. I kind of. Like I understood why they did that because the rest of the episode feels like a pretty stock high school thing. Uh-huh. Feel like Batman so much, yeah. uh, and so 
pumping the pumping the beginning forward. Riddler, Killer Croc, and Two Face will definitely get you hooked and get you set in for whatever this is that comes after. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's just it's not like the most Batman episode we've ever seen. So the uh, robot, the guy, the tech guy who was making robots, looked like he should be played by uh, Steve Buscemi. By Steve Buscemi, yeah, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Um, and I thought for a second that they would say this is the version of Hardak. Maybe this is the evolution yeah. of that company. Like, why not just throw that in there as an Easter egg? Yeah, I I looked it up because they were using the word synthoid a lot, mm-hmm. and I was like, that sounds really familiar. Have they mentioned that before? I guess this is the first time they use that that term, uh, and it comes yeah. up a couple other times in later episodes. But uh, why yeah, I, why not make it the son of uh, awesome Carl Carl Carl? Yeah, awesome Carl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, it, there was a. Uh, I was wondering about that. I was also wondering when they go there, when Terry goes there to pick up uh, Bruce's robot order. Mm-hmm. The uh, the guy's like, man, Bruce Wayne really going through a lot of these robots. And I'm thinking to myself, is he? This brings up a lot of questions for me. Like, mm-hmm. what does this guy think he's doing with these robots? And on the other mm-hmm. side of that, is Bruce dressing these robots to look like villains? Or is that yeah. part of the thing he's ordering? He's like, I need, I need mm-hmm. five robots: one that looks like the Riddler, one that looks like Two Face, and one that looks like Killer Croc. Don't ask me why. Definitely has nothing to do with me being Batman. Yeah, you know what? One that it- looks like Alfred's. Wait a minute, no, that would be weird. <laughs> I've, I, I, well, we learn in the next episode he's good at making tea, but maybe if he wasn't making tea, he would want an Alfred robot that could make him tea. But he doesn't isn't know that, that they're called trumpets or something like that. Yes. Isn't that kind of what's missing from Batman Beyond is having a robot Alfred? His voice could be the voice of the computer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like he's got like an AI that controls the whole house. Like Alfred is his Siri or his Alexa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Alfred, tell me a racist joke. <laughs> <laughs> Alfred's like, I don't know any, sir. Yes. I'm sure that would be the first thing he asked. Uh, I mean, that's but, what we all do with with Alexa, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure, I'm definitely. Uh, so the Batcave apparently has a holodeck in it, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I was surprised. I thought, well, if you have a holodeck technology that can make staircases and buildings uh, that you're standing on, interacting with, why not mm-hmm. have? Why not just project your people too? It's Great basically question. the uh, the danger room, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but to go off of what you said before, so is. If Bruce is ordering basic robots to beat up, which are illegal, by the way, so mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne is buying uh, illegal objects, and then he's like dressing them up to look like Riddler and Clayface. But then when the Steve Buscemi makes a custom sex robot for this kid, it comes fully dressed and it looks like a girl with red hair and blue eyes or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I guess Bruce was buying the baseline model, and his kid was buying the custom model. I guess, yeah. I couldn't. I couldn't track whether all of the robots, like the robots as a concept were illegal, or if it was just the Steve Buscemi doing it on the side was illegal. Yeah. At the very yeah. least, so, at the very least, what Buscemi was doing was illegal. It makes more sense. I think it's better if Buscemi's staying after hours and selling off extra copies, and that's that's illegal. It's like yeah. unmonitored. <laughs> he Well, he was doing it apparently during business hours in the <laughs> next room, so <laughs> he's not he's not really hiding it that much. Wasn't it clever of him to make a version of himself? Because obviously at some point someone's going to come in and try to kill him. 
Yes. Um, but yeah. yeah, what did you think of this one overall? I liked it. Mm-hmm. I uh, thought that it had a good subplot. I liked the high school stuff. I feel like we've all known a kid who was uh, in high school who was way overconfident, didn't have any fear of rejection, even though he knew he was kind of lame, of going <laughs> up to cool kids and be like, hey, brother, how you doing? Big, you know, to do with my place after work. Ha ha, mm-hmm. bring the keg, blah, blah, blah. Like, we always saw that kid who was kind of pathetic but fearless at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I liked him. Yeah. I thought he was well-designed, too. Yeah, uh, voiced by Max Brooks, son of Mel Brooks, who is now uh, more oh. well-known as an author. Yeah, I did not know that. I was going to Google him, and I forgot. Yeah, World War Z, Zombie Survival Guide, among other things. Hmm. Um, yeah, Wait, I, in, I in real life? Is yeah. he in real life? Wait, is this, he's playing these roles, or he's like a survival guide? Oh, sorry, sorry. Max Brooks is the writer of World War Z and oh. uh, the Zombie Survival Guide. Oh, okay, I thought he was like a prepper. No, <laughs> I don't. Like I don't think off so. the grid. Okay. No. <laughs> not that we know of. Um, yeah, I thought this one was okay. It's. I mean, I, I thought the story that they were telling was ultimately fairly stock. Like it's 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 very much a weird science type monkey's paw thing where you know mm-hmm. the guy the guy wants a girl to love him, but obviously yeah. he gets more than he bargained for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought the way that they told it was pretty good and it was, it yeah. was fun. Um, yeah. I yeah, liked, the, uh, Terry, uh, locking Max into a boy's locker room and leaving her there. I thought that was actually pretty funny. <laughs> that was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Although I, hopefully nobody found her cause who knows what would have happened if they did. Right. Well, in the future there'll all be non-gendered bathrooms, so it shouldn't matter. And if yeah, you well, complain, then you're racist. That's a that's a bunch of different things put together. Oh, I know. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's. I thought it was okay. It. Uh, I liked. Um, I liked the. I wish they had pushed Cynthia going crazy at the end a bit further. Like I was kind of hoping for more of a uh, stripped down Terminator thing where like pieces started falling off of her and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wanted a half face removal. Like when she came out of the TV, I would have gone full T two, you know. Right. Yeah. 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 You know, you have the thing where it's like her half robot body is crawling after, after yeah. uh, Hank or what? It was his name, Hank, Howard. Ooh, Howard. Yeah. Yeah. And just Howard. going like, love me or whatever. That would be fun. You know, Howard looks like a, a George Jetson's character. He and, does. Uh, yeah. I think a lot of the Batman Beyond designs are like one skip away from a George Jetson design. I kind of like that. Yeah, I think I I I think that's probably a result of that being the show that a lot of these guys grew up on, as far as like mm. future goes. Yeah. So it wouldn't surprise me if that uh, if that look made its way in either on purpose or or kind of uh, subconsciously. Yeah. Yeah, it's too bad they couldn't use the uh, animation saving tactic of having everybody on moving sidewalks all the time, like in the Jetsons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's funny in the uh, in uh, the trivia. This actually says Bruce Tim has stated on various audio commentaries that he admires the Buffy verse 
And in Rebirth Part 1 commentary, he said that he was asked to make Batman Beyond like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which was oh. very popular for WB at the time. Curiously, one it. year, yeah. Curiously, one year and one month after the airing of this episode, Buffy aired an episode with plot points similar to this one, in which a misfit creates an android girlfriend who also goes haywire at a party. I was going to mention that, but I couldn't remember exactly what the the, the setup was. But yes, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you're I right. think that's that's part of it. Is it's just like it's you know it's fine. It's a it's a. Uh, there's also another episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer where Buffy's mom starts <clears throat> dating. John Ritter and he's like this perfect perfect boyfriend and Buffy is very suspect of how perfect he is and he also yeah. turns out to be a robot so that was a pretty good one. Oh, I didn't know Buffy dealt with robots. I thought she was mostly demons and stuff. No, it's all over the place. Yeah, they do they, they don't they didn't do a ton of robots. Actually, yeah. no, I guess they did later in the seasons. The robots kind of that became a recurring plot point as robot doubles of people. So yeah, they get into all sorts of different stuff. Yeah. You know, I kind of want to see more episodes about the illegal distribution of Hardak. Like anyone yeah. you know could be not who you think they are. And these yeah. things have almost like where the Picard series is now with the mm-hmm. uh, changelings taking over and you can't trust anybody. I mean, I could see like a two episode um, arc of uh, Batman sort of having to get to the bottom of this. Obviously, that's a lot more complicated episode than a high school drama, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just felt like there was a lot of uh, meat on the bone there and good ideas and like the idea of maybe an imposter Batman, which is kind of what we get into next episode. Yeah, I'm surprised Hardak doesn't come back. I'm, uh, I mean, I don't know yeah. if it does later in the, in the show, but it doesn't. Yeah, it hasn't yet because it does seem like that's something that makes sense to, to jump off of in the future with this advanced technology and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think we were actually uh, in the early stages of Generation Joker. We were thinking about using Hardak, but we we decided to to change tack a little bit. But that was the one thing where we started talking about it, and I was like, Hardak, let's use Hardak, and it didn't end up making the final cut. But yeah, well, when does issue one come out of that? By the way, uh, May, I think. So okay. a couple months. Yeah. Now, seems like it's been going on forever. Just the plotting yeah. and. Uh, yeah, normally I'm doing the art as well, and uh, I guess it always takes a long time to make a comic book. But just me sort of like checking in on you guys every now and then, I'm always like, wow, this thing's still going on. Like, when are we getting to the last issue here? <laughs> uh, I'm totally well, even, not aware of release dates. And- well, even with uh, with Red Hood, we I had finished the scripts for Red Hood, I think. That yeah. book came out in April or May, or I think, of last year. Or no, it came out in like August or something. And I think I had yeah. finished the scripts early in the year or possibly even before the the year rolled over and so i was that was one where i was surprised at, at how long the whole thing took to to yeah. get from uh soup to nuts as it were yeah yeah it's nuts i i part of the fun of leaving dc for a while is i can make the books take my time and get them ready before i even announce them and even if i started doing spin-offs or started writing projects for other people i could just pay them up front and give them a reasonable schedule that artists deserve and not have to worry about making money until, you know, long after the fact. Mm -hmm. But comic publishers have fallen into this schedule where it's like, we need everything yesterday. Right. You know, and they've been doing that for so long. And I don't know if it's a, 
if it's just a cultural shift, if it's everyone's behind, is it because we have less editors taking on more work? Uh, is it a lack of pay and motivation or is the artists just slow? I mean, you know, it's probably a mix of all that stuff. But uh, like in theory, there's no reason why uh, Marvel can say or DC can say, hey, give us a uh, ongoing series of 20 issues. We'll pay you right now. And then when you're done and when you're halfway finished, we'll start releasing them. That way you guys don't have to rush to finish it off. Mm-hmm. As long as you plan correctly and have the money saved up where you need it, why can't you run the company that way? But they're not doing it. Everything is needed yesterday. Yeah. Did you feel like you had that pressure on you for uh, uh, White Night Beyond? Yeah. I So my editor, uh, my first editor who quit, her, she was Maggie, and she was uh, really great at scheduling. And before she left, she really wanted to make sure that I had a fair schedule. And um, I'm always hopefully optimistic about my schedule. Like, I always assume mm-hmm. I can get four or five pages done a week, every week, no problem. And I forget that I need to, like, scan and adjust and redraw right. panels. So I always think I can bang it out by a certain date inevitably. But I'm still pretty fast for for what the job takes like no one ever accused me of being slow or lazy yeah um but yeah so maggie set me up with a schedule that gave me two months per book and i thought that that would be fine and then she left and then Brittany came on and i just continued to work the schedule normally i'd like to have four or five issues done and in the can before we announce but dc decided to announce and we had like three issues in the can which i was against Mm -hmm. um so that means that we've announced the launch date, which means you've inevitably announced the end date. Eight months later, the last issue should be out, right? Right, right. So when I started running into delays, like my computer broke, I had to get two uh, to, to fix it uh, or to replace it. And then I had to stop. I had to go to San Diego. I had to figure out why marketing was um, sort of dropping the ball at DC. So I, I calculated that I lost about a month and a half of time Um during the whole process, which is, mm-hmm. you know, an entire issue. I was late. Uh, I got COVID too, some stuff that was unavoidable. But anyway, um, yeah, so the last issue, two issues were late, basically. And uh, it drove me crazy because I'm never late. And uh, it happened this time. And I sort of blame the schedule. I don't know if I um, should have paid more attention uh, when they asked me over and over, can we can we go sooner? Can we launch sooner? And I should have said, no, fuck you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I joked around with Brittany. I said, man, if I do volume four, I might just start working on it and not tell them. Uh, and yeah, then yeah. say, okay, let's sign it. Oh, by the way, here's five issues done and lettered and colored, you know? Right. Yeah. And I know that neuters them because they're supposed to have editorial uh, control over things. And that's not how a company wants to be seen. But at the same time, I mean, you know, they rarely run interference on what I want to do anyway. Uh, I don't need the money up front right now i can wait to get paid and i can just take my sweet ass time doing the book rather than deal with them forcing me to release earlier than i want you know yeah yeah that'd be interesting <laughs> if the <laughs> I yeah would be, here book's done I would be, if they knew it, they would say well you've already drawn we know you've been drawing the book sean so you your page rate is your page rate we're not going to give you any more in your contract because we know that you need this to come out so it's almost like tipping mm-hmm. my hand a bit you know right yeah yeah, yeah, they you do they they do kind of have you over a barrel a little bit at that point where they're like, "Oh, this is great. I'm right. sure you'd love to get paid for this yeah. someday." <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, it depends on how much of dicks they want to be, you know. 
Right, yeah. Um, you got so you got to so, start employing a, uh, a Scotty from Star Trek kind of mentality, where it's like if you need if you need four months, you tell them it's going to take six, and then right. when you deliver it in four and a half. You look like a, a yeah. champion. How else are they going to think that you're a miracle worker? You know <clears throat> exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I, you know, with when I, I talked to Brittany, I said maybe um, I'll tell you what I want to do for Volume Four. You say okay, but you don't tell anybody. You just keep it between us. Send you a script, you read it, you make your notes. You're not actually getting paid for this book yet, but when they when it's time to work on it, you'll have already done the work. So in theory, you're you know making the same money as the editor, and you're putting in the same amount of work. We're just shifting the schedule around. Mm-hmm. See if she like. But are they going to get pissed at her if she worked on a book for secretly for four months and didn't tell them? <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's got to be some middle ground there that yeah. doesn't involve total clandestine operations <laughs> right yeah or i can tell them i can let them know i told a few people and they're aware that i was doing this we didn't want to make it official you know my reasons for doing this were i i sort of lost a little faith in the company's scheduling abilities so this is a dc problem not a sean problem mm-hmm. and i understand it's unorthodox but at the same time i i can throw my weight around a little bit you know i'm mm-hmm. i'm Excuse the arrogance. I'm Sean fucking Murphy. What are they going to mm. say? You know, <laughs> as long as like Batman doesn't start murdering t-shirt. people. <laughs> yeah. Oh man! Hey, can you make me coffee too? Yeah, sorry. If you can hear I'm the sorry. coffee, I'm maker, sorry. That's, I'm that's... just a, I'm just a podcast co-host. I can't make you a coffee. <laughs> Damn it, Clay! I know it smells uh, good through the microphone, but yeah. <laughs> um. So this one, what, how, do you like this kind of episode? Because I feel like we've had one or two before that was more high school focused and less Batman specific focused. How do you, you know, I think this one sets up a, we were kind of talking about it a bit at the beginning. It sets up this weird sort of thing where as soon as you see Terry fighting classic Batman villains, you're like, yeah, okay, this is great. But then it also kind of pushes that aside to do this high school stuff where you're kind of like, okay, this is kind of cool too, where it's it's high school, but he's also Batman. So I'm. I, where do you come down on 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 the more high school focused stuff? You're right. We've have we have had this theme for. Um, that's part of the having Peter Parker being trained by Bruce Wayne, which is kind of the idea of the whole series. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to have a lot of kind of dorky high school stuff. Um, I don't know. I mean, if Bruce was really serious about making Batman effective, he would pick someone who's in their 20s, who's not in high school anymore. You know, right. someone who can do this full time. Hello. Like, it doesn't make sense that you would endanger a 17 year old. Yeah. Well, he was, he, he was, he played the cards he was dealt, you know? He wasn't right. looking, he wasn't looking for a new Batman when Terry showed up. Yeah. That's the sort of thread I was trying to weave and beyond was. How do you explain away Bruce's inclusion of children? Mm-hmm. And the line I gave him was that Jason Todd kind of forced his hand by trying to steal the rims off the Batmobile. And he sort of gives Batman to people that go looking for it. And mm-hmm. he doesn't want to deny them uh, access in, in some ways. And that's just part of the deal, you know? Mm-hmm. Like he could argue with himself and say, well, I'm not pushing this on anybody, but if they want it, I'm going to give it to them. As long right. as they follow these rules, you know. So if Terry is that guy in the right place at the right time, yeah. I it would be interesting to see a story from the point of view of Robin that 
portrays Batman as a bit more of a uh what's the word I'm looking what's the phrase I'm looking for here like you mm. know the way the way you're describing Batman as if they want it I'm going to help them and give them what they want yeah if you flip the point of view of that story can be a little bit more mysterious and kind of um foreboding in mm. that sense when you've got this uh m- mystical creature almost type person in a mask who's giving yeah. who's saying to you I know how angry you are and I can give you the tools to 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 yeah. do what you need to do almost kind of like you know Darth Vader talking to Luke Skywalker to a certain extent being like I know what you want and if you follow me I can give it to you that kind yeah. of thing it's that's that's kind of an interesting angle on it cuz i mean right what happens when what happens when that goes wrong what happens when batman is like i'll give you the tools that you need and either he gets rejected or the mm-hmm. person who t- takes him up on it goes in the complete different direction than what Batman wanted, which is, I guess, right. sort of what what Asriel is a bit about. I was just going to say that, bit. yeah, yeah. In, yeah. in the the regular continuity, but yeah, you know, we're watching the show called You. Oh, sure, yeah. Okay, so it's on Netflix now, and it's about a guy who's a sociopath and probably serial killer. And it, you hear his inner monologue through most of it as he starts dating this girl. And the things that he's thinking is very much like things that you and I think. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you. And he's trying to date her through social media and blah, blah, blah. Um, I would love a version of Batman and Robin, but from Robin's point of view, where he is the main character. Batman is the stranger, the un- the unknowable. And I don't know, you start off at the circus and the tragedy of his parents' death. And then you've got this kind of weird guy who comes up to you and offers you, uh, you know, he wants to adopt you and he shows you his secret and i wonder what's going on in robin's head for all this like who is this guy i find i like him but yeah i'm very suspicious and what is going on like some some single millionaire can just take me in like this doesn't seem right and maybe he starts to sense like i think i'm being manipulated but maybe i can manipulate him back and he's he's right and wrong you know and you kind of see the whole thing through through robin's i think that'd be really amazing to do actually yeah because you've got like Usually this story is told more or less either from Batman's point of view or from a more omniscient yeah. narrator kind of point of view. And a lot of this middle ground is kind of glossed over to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. But it's like what happens after Dick, Grayson, Dick Grayson's parents get killed and then, you know, Batman shows up and then Dick has to leave and go back to like the orphanage for a while. And then Batman shows up again. And then he's like, all right, what the fuck is this guy? Where, where is this guy coming from? And then he gets adopted and he's in this new house with this guy who is going out at night and seemingly is never around. But then Batman mm-hmm. is kind of around and kind of making things kind of enticing. It's like it, it, it does have a very sort of uh, a really yeah. interesting kind of angle on it that I don't yeah. know if um if uh, <clears throat> it's been a years and years since I read it, but I don't know if Frank Miller's. All Star no. Batman was cu- trying oh. to go that way a little bit because I thought you were going to go Robin Year One. Sorry. Oh no no. Um, the All Star Batman was uh, heavily criticized for the way it portrayed Batman. That's the where they have him saying, "I'm the goddamn Batman." Right. And, and when he yeah. call he calls Robin retarded. Yeah. And I yeah. I I had I had seen something talking about that book saying that like what he was trying to do was 
really emphasize how fucking weird Batman is as a concept and how this uh-huh. guy, this kid isn't interacting with this guy who's going out and just like ultra violence on these criminals and stuff and how that is, mm-hmm. is very strange for a kid. I, they might be giving this book more credit than it's, than it's due. Cause a, it was never finished and B, I don't think it did very well, but, mm-hmm. um, and I don't remember it really standing out to me, but like that, that, that idea of, the the whole Batman thing from the Robin standpoint, I do find very interesting, and I maybe someone has done it, and I just don't know. I would love to read it if they did. Yeah, talk about untra- unusually after all these years, some pretty fertile ground that hasn't been planted yet, right? Yeah, yeah. And you're you're not doing anything that um, everyone knows the story of Robin, but we never heard it from his side, really, from his side in a way that's like you're in his head and you don't know really what Bruce is thinking and you're suspicious of Bruce, just like Robin is, you know, like that doesn't need to be an Elseworld story at all. This could be mainline. Right, yeah. Like, a, you know, what would be really actually kind of fun to do is do a mini series where every issue, just call it Robins. Mm-hmm. And every issue is the story of one of the Robins from this different point of view. And so you get to see how each one of them veers off differently. Oh. So, so you've got, right. The first one is Dick Grayson, and you follow his trajectory up through becoming Nightwing, and it kind of ends on a positive note. And then you do Jason Todd, and you follow his trajectory where he takes things the wrong way, and he ends up getting killed for it. And then you've got uh, Tim Drake, (laughs) who has a whole entirely different approach to Batman because he actually seeks Batman out. You know, Mm -hmm. so it's – I think that would be pretty fun. I think you should call it Robin's Therapist. And it's a Batman <laughs> hires a therapist to give all the Robins therapy. And one by one, they come in and this therapist is like hearing their stories. And he's like, what the fuck is this child abuse? And then, <laughs> and then they ha- he decides to get them all in the same room together, like an AA meeting of some kind. Yeah, and they- <laughs> it's, not, it's not quite as fun. Group therapy, I don't know is, if is the way we want to go with the story. but This would be a partial comedy, of course. Uh, oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, sort of like the uh, that new uh, Dracula movie with Nick Cage coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryan Reinhold or whatever I can't remember what oh, it's called. <laughs> uh, Nicholas. Oh, Ryan Renfield. Renfield. Thank you. Yeah. 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 They all have PTSD. They're dealing with. Then they finally decide to bring Bruce in. And Bruce had this is not what Bruce thought would happen. He thought you just fix these kids and send them back to work. The therapist <laughs> is like, actually, Bruce, you're going to have to do a little bit of heavy lifting here too. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Teaching Batman the new phrases like. Stuff that Batman think is pretty weak, like only pussies talk like that. But the, the mm-hmm. therapist is making him use like you need to admit your feelings, you need to take a breath. If your voice goes above a six, you need to stop and reassess. Like things that Batman would not be good at, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. honestly, Clay, you should mm. pitch um, Robin this Robin idea to DC. So I'd love to write a Robin story. It's like four issues. It's about meeting Robin Batman for the first time and. Don't make it a white knight thing. Just make it a mainline thing. Like, I think you should pitch that. Yeah, I'll, I, I, that would be that would be fun. I, if I can, uh, I'll, I'll try and focus it up into something and, and see if I can get somebody to look at it. Yeah, that seems. Well, to I be love a how trick. I know your favorite thing in the world is when you and I talk about our new ideas publicly here, and then someone oh, beats yeah. you to it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Loving that. You know like the uh, wrestling thing for Bane. Yeah, don't nobody anybody who wanted to see Bane as a as a luchador wrestler, don't hold your breath because somebody just did it. So, <clears throat> and the thing that killed me about it. So okay, yeah, so here's the thing. 
But why don't you get? Why don't you explain much. more? Explain more what you're talking about for people okay. that don't know. Well, I, I don't know. I don't want to run anybody down for this because obviously it's it, just a it's a matter of co- extreme yeah. coincidence. But uh, it was so this long running Bane thing that I had kind of had in the back of my mind had one very specific element baked into it, which is that uh, the the lead up to it is that Bane is uh, Bane is the only guy who knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman, right? And so mm-hmm. what Bruce Wayne does in order to get him out of Gotham is he uses his connections as Bruce Wayne, freezes all of uh, uh, Bane's assets and gets him deported to Mexico. And so... <laughs> Uh, he's stuck. He's stuck out of the country. He can't get back in. I know he's Bane. He's the supervillain. Just roll with me here. Uh, mm-hmm. And so eventually, he get Bruce gets called down to Mexico to to meet up with Bane. And the place that he is sent to is this. He walks in, and it's this this big, crazy crowd going nuts over this wrestling match. And what Bruce walks into is he sees Bane in the ring giant muscly Bane fighting a smaller, scrawnier wrestler who's dressed like Batman. And what he's doing is every night Bane is reliving the breaking of Batman in a, in the wrestling ring. And Bruce is really unnerved because the whole crowd is loving the fact that Bane is breaking Batman's back every night. And so yeah. that was like the lead in for this, this, this thing. And then I picked up that Bane book and it like, the first three pages are that exact same idea. The fact oh. that Bane is a professional wrestler in Mexico who is fighting a Batman wrestler and running through the breaking of Batman in the form of a wrestling match. And I was like, you know, right. there's this this idea that, you know, there's no idea that is so unique that somebody else doesn't have it. It's just who gets there first. Sure, I totally understand that. This was so specific. Yeah. To like this is kind of thing has happened to me a bunch of times where it's like, okay, that's really close. I should probably adjust some stuff, blah, blah, blah. This was the exact same thing, and I could not believe yeah. it. I thought that you were upset because they took Bane as wrestler, which I think has been done before, and that's on the tip of everyone's tongue anyway. Like right, yeah. Bane wrestler, it's already in the zeitgeist. Sure. But yeah. I didn't know, and you're right to be this annoyed because that is pretty fucking close. I, I like I I'm not I'm not annoyed that's that it that it's out there as an idea because I think it's a cool idea. I just I could not believe how exact it was. Like it's never been that close where it's like these specific details all lined up in the same way, and that, that was just it. I just couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. So I'm got which the I don't want to blow anything for Generation Joker, but we almost used that idea mm-hmm. in Generation Joker. We kind of tweaked it a bit, so. You might yeah. see something that is similar to that in Generation Joker. And right. now I'm kind of happy we tweaked it the way we did because otherwise it would have looked like we were just kind of copying this other thing. So, Right, right. You know, it's funny. I, I There's a few ideas I want to do, and I know they're close to ideas that friends of mine have done. Like I want to do this book uh, called The Last Driver. Mm-hmm. And in this idea, I think the only guy that actually knows how to drive a car because in the future everyone is driving, being driven around in these like wimpy Google pods. Um, and then that's controlled by the city, giant megalopolis, like demolition man style, mm-hmm. uh, or Judge Dredd. And it's called the grid and, uh, G R I D would be an acronym for something. I don't know. And then you told me the Rick Remender used the grid idea in, uh, his image book with Bengal. Um, I don't so know I'm debating. I don't think that's that. No, that, that wasn't it. That wasn't the, there was 
overlap oh. and other stuff, but the grid is a concept I don't think is in that book. Okay. Well, that's a relief because I yeah. was like, man, do I tell Rick? I mean, Rick's not going to read it anyway. He doesn't like that I'm doing Batman. He wishes I was more punk rock like him and yeah. whatever. I started uh, reading so I, that book and I don't think the overlap was as big as I as I thought it was going to be. So I okay. think you're fine. Good. Thank you. All right. Well, that's, but that's yeah, one. I mean, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's a weird thing when, when you're in this sort of, when you're in this creative profession yeah. where if you've got, let's say you're talking, speaking about Batman, right? You've got, mm-hmm. you, you and I are two of, I don't know, a hundred, 150 people who at any one time are trying to think up Batman stories. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some form of overlap in some sense. Yeah. It, it's just statistically impossible for it not to happen. Right. And so it's just, it's, it's, it's frustrating when it does happen, but it's just, it's a yeah. hazard of the profession, I suppose. Yeah. I also had a, you and I are working on a story that's similar to, um, well, the, t- the, the title and the theme is a little similar to um, the Daniel Warren Johnson book. Uh, what's it called? That image book. It's like Rock and Roll Rooster. Or, oh, um, uh, Murder Falcon. Murder Falcon. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm like, man, it has the same vibe. But I'm like, you know what a good way around this would be? Is get Daniel Warren Johnson to do a variant cover. Because mm-hmm. clearly he's now included. And no one's going to accuse me of getting near his idea or whatever. Right. Um, Daniel's a chill guy. I don't think he would ever accuse me of that. But when that book did come out, I was like, ooh, I should, we should pause, work on this. Because if that thing takes off, then, you know, this is... I don't want to be accused of, you know, trying to swipe from him in, in any way, you know? Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was running into that problem with the book I'm working on now, the wrestling book that I'm doing with Ricardo, mm-hmm. where yeah. also also Daniel, again, put out this wrestling book that's fucking amazing. Right. And after when I read yeah. the first issue, I was like, okay, well, I got to change some stuff now, which is fine. Yeah. But it, yeah. it's, 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 uh, yeah, it's yeah. just a, it's a hazard of the businesses. Good ideas yeah. are good ideas. And some people get right. to them quicker than others. Daniel's but book is sometimes, amazing, but you should read it, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the interesting thing, though, is it's never as clear of a connection as the creator thinks. Yes. It's way worse in your head than yes. how people are going to interpret it. Except Case the Bane point, thing. The Bane thing is exact, but everything okay, else. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> everything Most else is usually the, worse for the creator who's right. thinking it, yeah. Most of the time, people don't notice, like you will. Um, for example, I was reading Cliff Chang's book, Catwoman. Um, Yep. Else, um black label and um people warned me uh, a year ago like there's a few uh got batman books where the cops it's about the police basically and after george floyd i was like well mine's gonna be about good cops and bad cops i'm sure everyone else is gonna do all cops are evil because that's just that's where twitter was at at the time mm-hmm. so uh they said oh cliff is working on this and someone's working on that is that okay? And I'm like, you know, I've been gearing up to do um, a GCPD type of GTO thing for a while, so I'm not going to change my plans. And I didn't worry about what Cliff is doing. And then when I saw a preview, he's got like aged up Catwoman coming back into, you know, so got old hero back in action. He's got villain as politician. He's got um, cops literally dressed in bat helmets with pointy mm-hmm. ears. And he's got um, even like a Batman uh, Devastation Fund idea reworked. So I know Cliff. I like Cliff. I don't think he did that on purpose. But I remember reading it thinking like, really? Nobody stopped this? Like nobody told him like, hey, Cliff, maybe veer a little to the left because Sean already did this. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, where is quality control in this matter? You know, so I was annoyed. Not at Cliff. I was just annoyed at comics. Um, yeah. 
And then they kind of uh, well, so, got in. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but they kind of. Sure. I remember when they were doing the future state stuff. Yeah. Uh, the the story they were telling in Batman that I dipped in on from time to time also involved like Batman, Batman cops working with advanced Batman technology and stuff. So it was kind of like in the yeah. zeitgeist for whatever reason when sure. all of these yeah. books were happening. Yeah. Uh, and even the Lego movie with Batman talked about. Oh yeah, you know, Batman. If you, you want to be a help, put on a yeah. Yeah. So I uh, about that one. I was worried when mine came out, everyone would say Sean Murphy ripped off Cliff Chang, and nobody said that. Not mm-hmm. even in any comment on any YouTube video, anything I've ever seen, nobody put it together. And if I read both, I'd be like, one of these guys copied the other. Clearly, but right, that's yeah. just me. You know, maybe I'm in too intense or something. But yeah, all that worry about Cliff's book and I, nothing. So. Whatever. Yeah, well, I don't think it's it's funny because I read that book, I w- which I really liked, and but I did yeah. come away going like, well, I mean, I don't really know if there's any point in trying to get White Knight Catwoman done now because it's kind of yeah. playing in the same. It wouldn't have been the same story, obviously, but it's kind of playing yeah. in the same sandbox up to the yeah. fact that it's an older Catwoman in the yeah. future with bat cops and stuff. And I was like, I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's not worth yeah. it to to try and do anymore. Not for now, but you know, I don't. I still want to return for a Batman Catwoman uh, miniseries, not an eight issue thing, but yeah. something smaller. And I'd like to get into like flashbacks of the old Gotham, traditional Batman, because people love that stuff, obviously. Mm-hmm. I'm not really worried. And I think because you've helped me build this entire new universe, I mean, we're so far off, off the, the grid. I was going to say off the reservation, but I know we're not supposed to say that anymore. <laughs> we're so far away from mainline continuity that we can sort of do whatever we want. Like, no right. one is going to catch up to us. Even if we do have a similar idea, it's framed. The context of White Knight is so different that right, yeah. we're fine. Like, we uh, we ended up in a really, really great position with any idea that we want to do. I mean, Jesus Christ, I have old man Batman about to fight, you know, 20-year-old superman and yeah. you know it's like who the hell, how the hell did we end up here it's such a weird thing that we built slowly it, it, i wish you could say it was all planned from the beginning but it wasn't you know <laughs> right yeah yeah so i kind of don't worry about that stuff in in some sense now yeah yeah it's but uh... i can see why you would because if you're going to be pitching dc it's not a white knight book then that is something that should be more on your radar than mine yeah and i, I think it's the kind of thing too where it's like if you are more in my position where I'm just I'm I'm trying to make a backlog of of things that I would like to do to whatever my next project is going to be. Every yeah. time something like this happens, it's like okay, well that I got to take that one off the board or mm-hmm. you know really revamp it. And this, the last month or so, man, it happened like three times that, mm. to to a point that that I was like, I don't know if I can do these ideas anymore because of how similar these other things were. I won't go into what they were, but it was yeah. just one of those those moments where I had to take a step back and go like, okay, well. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them I actually, I I had just brought to another publisher yeah. who was kind of interested in it. And after I sent it to them, this other thing got announced. And so when I was talking to this editor, I was like, listen, I just want to let you know this other thing is coming out that has a lot of similarities. I don't know if that's going to influence mm-hmm. whether or not you want to do this or whatever. And he's like, okay, I hadn't heard that. I'll check it out. And since then I've talked to him about it and he didn't see, seem concerned. So, you know, yeah. but also, I mean, at the same time, I, 
the the biggest one for me was when Wonder Woman came out. Yeah. I was in the middle of plotting out Bloody Hell, and uh, Wonder Woman came out with three. It took you know it takes place in World War One. This god type character that ends up uh, in the trenches, and she had these three side characters that were exactly mm-hmm. the same as the three side characters I had written into my book. So there mm. was a Scottish guy, an Indian guy, and I, there was uh, a Native American in the movie, and I ha- didn't have that guy in my book. But the, the Scottish guy yeah. and the Indian guy were these side characters in my book. And I was like, okay, well, yeah, back to the – and like the climax was very similar to what I had worked in to Bloody Hell at mm. that time. And so I kind of – I went back to the drawing board, and I changed it, and I, I think I, I made it better. I think it was, was for the better. Yeah. I had to kind of – Right. Go back to this and readjust it because it made me think like, okay, well, you know, yeah. if if these things are happening in this movie, maybe this isn't as original as I thought. How can I approach this differently? Keep the same themes and keep the same um, yeah. intention, but do it in a, in a bit of a different way. Yeah. Um, I was. We should get on to talking about the next episode. Yes, yes, we should. Story. Uh, I was at a convention at a bar once, and there was this other writer there who uh, I don't really like this guy, and he was talking about um, an idea he was thinking about doing, um, and I think he was. My impression was he was sort of using an idea I had and taking his own spin on it, and I th- said, "Well, I'm kind of going to do that myself," and he basically implied, "Well." I guess we'll see who gets there first. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, motherfucker. Well, I'll just go back to my hotel, draw it, send it to my editor, and boom, <laughs> I own it first. Because <laughs> I know the artist pretty goddamn well. Whereas another, he has to write a pitch, send it in, mm-hmm. get have a meeting, have it approved, blah, blah, blah. And, mm-hmm. you know, get the artist to draw it and find the artist. and blah. So he's got a like a delay, inevitably. Whereas I can just do it like now and grab it. And I basically thanked him on that because he was a bit of a dick to me. Nice. Uh, so I was like, fuck it. I'll just sketch it right now and send it in. Then I'll just tell everybody. Yeah. You know, so-and-so is going to do something similar. Kind of makes me uncomfortable. And uh, they had, they sort of made him take a left turn. <laughs> His book still did fine, but it, you know, he hasn't come at me since. So whatever. Yeah. All right. Once, once we're done here, I'm going to need to know the full extent of that story, but okay, sure. <laughs> uh, is was there anything you'd like to draw from this episode? Um, you know, Terry hanging out near the Bruce Wayne's car, just that looked really cool. Seeing yeah. that Batmobile flipped upside down and him just hanging out by it. That'd be a pretty cool poster. Uh, yeah. Not a lot of story there, but I don't know. Just a neat image. How about you? Yeah, I think I'd like to do the, the Cynthia having her meltdown at the party. I, I think I'd, I, yeah. I'd want to. That would be fun and push it a little bit further and into some more like Terminator territory. Yeah, uh, would be a lot of fun. Uh, one other little bit of trivia is when Howard's dad shows up at the end. Uh, very yeah. recognizable voice. That's Dan Castellaneta, uh, Homer Simpson, doing oh. the voice of his dad. Yeah, was the design because he wore this interesting hat, and I thought maybe this is supposed to be a wink, wink to another character from the seventies or something. Oh, I don't know. I didn't notice specifically. Yeah. Okay. Like yeah. not an Archie Bunker, but some kind of character that I'm yeah, only the animators know of. But anyway, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I also they should have him go like or dope or something yeah. like that. <laughs> Do you think the Simpsons owns dope? Um, probably. Yeah, there is a there is a specific spelling of it, and I I yeah. would be surprised if they didn't have that trademarked. Yeah, D uh, 
dash oh or apostrophe oh yeah yeah the, the funny thing about that is the way that they write that in the script or at least the way they used to uh they did they they don't write dough they write annoyed grunt and so there was an episode title that was that was a riff on E I E I O like the the rhyme there, and uh, it was supposed to be E I E I Do, but the title of the script is actually E I E I Annoyed Grunt, which I find Why? very funny. Just okay. yeah. Anyway, okay. uh, so that's gonna do it for Terry's so I'm friend. Go oh yeah, we should rating. Rate yeah. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a high three or a low four. I, I like. I think I like this one a little bit more than you did. Yeah, I'll give it a three. I think it's solid. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, it's. I guess it's just kind of an idea I've seen a bunch of times before, so it didn't really throw me that much. Although the Steve Buscemi guy was fun. Uh, I also part of me was kind of hoping that when the the classic villains showed up at the beginning, they would be redesigned yet again, and then maybe mm-hmm. Terry would have to ask bruce like i I, in my head i'm like that would be really funny because then you have to assume that bruce adjusted these designs himself so is this like this new version of two-face what he thinks two-face would look like in 2025 or whenever there's a brand uh, manager there's a brand manager joke here yeah i can't think of what it would be (laughs) there's a reason they pay someone to do this for them yeah (laughs) without the brand manager bruce has to redesign everything himself yeah yeah. Uh, anyway. but but yeah two couple of threes high three from sean regular three for me uh that's yeah. gonna do it for terry's friend dates a robot we'll take a quick break and be back with eyewitness <laughs> finally an end to the bureaucratic nightmare no more craft no more payoffs no more jury duty <laughs> Wonder what he's so happy about. All right, Eyewitness. Story by Rich Fogel, teleplay by Hillary J. Bader, directed by Butch Lucic. Lukic, I'm never going to get that name right. Uh, and in this one, when Commissioner Barbara Gordon witnesses Batman killing an opponent in cold blood, Terry finds himself on the run from the law as he tries to discover the real culprit and prove his innocence. I was legitimately uh, worried that they actually killed off Mad Stan, and I'm really happy they did not kill off Mad Stan. So they're building a pretty good uh, swelling up to Mad Stan because we haven't had the Mad Stan episode yet, have we? But this is the second time that we're gearing this guy, and there isn't a whole lot to Mad Stan. Yeah, I thought he was pretty good too. Like in yeah. this episode, the fight that he had, like I think that one of the things I might want to draw is the the fight with Mad Stan, where he's just throwing rockets at him and shit. That was pretty yeah. fun. I love it. I mean, obviously, I'm a massive Henry Rollins fan. Um, I like. It used to annoy me how unconvincing it was when Mad Stan would say like, "Hey man, you got to check out the blah blah blah, like corporation capitalism." Hey man, the way he said "man" didn't sound like his heart was into it. And I know Henry knows how to shout that word, you know, but yeah. Henry would probably say, I'm not an actor. I did the best I could, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm curious, like, did they let Henry write his own dialogue a bit and tweak it to make it his own? Or for that matter, who said, hey, I know who we need for this character. Actually, let's even design it after him. You know who's yeah. really hot right now? The liar guy, Henry Rollins. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was, uh, I think we may have talked about this a little bit, but 
that's what yeah. 99 2000 so he's he's been in stuff he was in heat he was in uh yeah. was he in bad boys yeah. 2 i think bad boys 2 is a couple years after this but yeah so, so he's liar, out there as an actor yeah liar the liar video is a big thing in like 95 96 he was an mtv commenter vj he was sort of like d schneider for a while because mm-hmm. he was well spoken so you need a rock guy who can show up on time and say something kind of clever and leave <laughs> that's henry yeah. um and then you're right so he had a few things here and there uh and then bad boys too <laughs> and he um, yeah two, and he, two all-time greats what a great sandwich yeah bad yeah. boys bad boys two on one end heat on the other mad stand in the middle that's a sandwich yeah. i want to eat He's typecast, but uh, yeah, I love him. Um, yeah, I loved this episode. I thought it looked really great. The animation. Yeah. There's a bit where Terry is walking around in a hallway, and he like he sort of steps forward and back and kind of trips a little bit. It's mm-hmm. a moment where I'm like, man, there must have been like seven different cells to catch that. Like, just something about the small things that they really paid attention to. I think yeah. this was the studio that they hired to do the Return of the Joker movie because it looks that good. And knowing what oh, you're really? saying about this is the first time they use digital coloring or whatever, it makes sense that they would really want to make this a 10 just to proof like, okay, this is the best it can look. We know we made the right decision. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, it's as a if this is the first one out of the gate, they really have to prove that this yeah. is the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't, I read the description of the episode first and I accidentally, so I saw Spellbinder. So I didn't ever think that terry actually did these things mm-hmm. um, and i wish i didn't see that because i would have gone in like man what the hell is going on like i thought it was really good so it looks like um the animation the the company that did the animation they didn't do uh they didn't do return of the joker but they did do batman sub-zero okay which is another one the number two yeah. yeah, and that was all traditional. <clears throat> uh, no, I think I think that was digital, or at least part of it was. Because remember, it has that's the one that has like the three sixty camera moves around the car and stuff. I think they did a mix because there's a few uh, CGI shots that they clearly were like, "Let's yeah. spend the money here," but most of it looked pretty traditional. TOS or yeah, TOS. Yeah, um, but it could be wrong. But yeah, regardless, like that was the movie that had that great Dutch angle where they're running right, away yeah. from Freeze's blast and all that. Yeah, really well animated movie, but more rounder. It, they hadn't really developed the um, season four style yet, which is really streamlined and pointy. Yeah, um, which led them to Beyond style. But yeah, yeah, really I found great. this one to be uh, pretty engaging, and I actually was thinking, like, man, this would be a great. I, I feel like it's too short. I feel like it would be a great uh three yeah, or four issue comic or they could have even done this as a movie because if, yeah. if your conceit is that now you've got barbara gordon on the hunt exactly. for batman like that's exactly. a, that's a pretty and like even bruce is kind of yeah it's unclear You're, what his stance is on terry i think it's got a yeah. lot of potential there i would have made it a two two episode at least yeah i'd push for three or four and have it would be like a mini movie like you said you're finally getting barbara really weighing in on how she feels about all of this stuff she talks about having looked into terry and this kid's got a spotty past and Bruce, yeah. whatever like there's so much there that i want to see more time with those ideas and then yeah uh, even after the fallout like i get that 
Terry exposed Spellbinder. He tackled him, and he saved Barbara and the cops' lives. But he also assaulted officers, attempted murder. You want to? I was a lawyer. Shooting batarangs at cops is attempted murder. Period. Stealing a bat, stealing a police cars, smashing into police cars, endangering citizens. Like, I get that he saved her life at the end, but. I think they would still have to arrest him, honestly. You yeah. Know? Well, I, you know, we we've kind of had a running joke on the show is that Terry has really come close, right up to the line of killing a lot of people in the show. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, they one, shoot him off a building, and they they like, man, why didn't they just use a net gun? But they actually blast him, and he falls a hundred stories or whatever. Yeah, and in this one, even he though he doesn't actually kill Mad Stan, he does mm-hmm. steal that. Uh, cop spinner car and then smash into two other ones and both of those things go crashing down so he who knows what happened to the pilots in those if there were any like i would have loved if the episode two of this was barbara says okay kid i know that you're a good guy you're not but i am the commissioner and my husband is running for re-election you are still an enemy of the police you need to run he needs to figure out a way to like settle all of this stuff um because you've got the da like maybe her husband is being forced to like push Char- press charges and to lead an investigation to who Batman is, and he thinks that she knows. Like, is it? He thinks she knows who, you know, Batman really is, and he's mm-hmm. leaning on her, so it's affecting her marriage. Like, man, there's so much you could get into. It could be like a 12 issue series for Christ's sakes. Yeah. Um, and to have it only go over, you know, 22 minutes or whatever is kind of a, it's, it's a missed opportunity. But I, I'm still going five on this episode. Yeah. Yeah. I um. <clears throat> I, I think they did a really nice job setting up what was going to come by having that scene where Barbara talks to Bruce and says, like, I looked at his record. This kid has been cited multiple times for, like, uh, assault and all these other kind of things. Like, setting up this idea that maybe Terry would push it too far. Uh, and that because mm-hmm. that goes a long way to to um, making what comes after that plausible as far as him. Yeah. I still, you know... I don't ever really believe that Terry is just going to kill somebody in cold blood like that. But mm-hmm. uh, I think it makes it for the story believable from Barbara's perspective that he might. Yeah. Even if she doesn't believe it, she has to assume that because that's her job. And there's a lot of pressure on her to yeah to, to and, figure this out. You know, And kind of what she's talking about, too, is is sort of another angle of this Ro- uh, Batman and Robin from Robin's point of view kind of story, which is like who is these Bruce Wayne doesn't know who these kids are that he's giving all this power to, you know, it's like, is it, it's an orphan with a chip on his shoulder and I'm teaching him how to kill people essentially. Like that's, yeah, that's the the, essentially the Jason Todd version where it's like, I guess, I guess I, I misjudged this kid and he went in a direction that I I didn't expect him to. Yeah. I'm teaching you to kill 99% of the way, but you're going to have to pull back at the very end because obviously we're not here to kill. Right. You yeah. Know, it seems like a loaded weapon ready to go off. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I, w- I would love to have seen this to be a, a bit longer, uh, but I do think yeah. they do a really good job uh, as as it stands. It also um, it made me think they have the my, one of my favorite things in mm-hmm. all of sci-fi, but just in general when they do this, which is when Bruce looks at a photo and he sees something in the background and he does the enhance and it enhances the photo. It, it always enhances it at, at full resolution. Uh-huh. And it made, it made me think <clears throat> since with the advancement of AI image technology, is that, does the AI image technology make this enhanced thing a 
a, a realistic possibility now? Could you take something in the back that's out of focus and distorted and run it through an AI thing and say enhance and then have it actually they've been doing that? They've, they've been doing that correctly? for years. Yeah, they've they've had that for a while. I, I think like in real model. life. Yeah, you know they they run. Um, they're called fractal algorithms. Um, it's hard to describe, but it's like this a bunch of numbers in a square and it's set up as a math problem. They're called mm-hmm. fractals. And if you visualize a fractal, it's like zooming in infinity on these patterns. Like you've probably seen these like trippy patterns that are pixelated. Of like this is what fractals, fractals look like if we visualize them. They use fractal technology to go in and essentially what you're describing. I believe they can do this, like not perfectly, but the computer can guess like, all right, I can't see this person's eye, but I know on average, most eyes are in the middle of the shadow on the face and this and that, and it can pick up on other clues to enhance it a little bit. I believe we have this already. And I think it uses fractal technology. What about the one that they do sometimes where they change the angle of the shot? So it's like they zoom in and then they go rotate 18 degrees and then they take this static photograph and then turn it. Yeah. and create and create imagery that you could not yeah. possibly know was there. Well, I think we can kind of do that because if you're like, for example, they're inside a garage. So a computer has a model for big cement pillars and cars. Mm-hmm. It can judge how large the figure is. So you could get a decent 3D, like show me it from three different three feet away. But as far as like what it looks like behind the pillar, we probably have to guess. Yeah, I'm we talking like the in, thing... Next, talk- next generation, they did this. I think. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, they no, they definitely do. Yes, there is definitely yeah, when like a. Jory was a frogman. They needed to recreate the scene of the crime. Yes, <laughs> in the holodeck. That's that's yeah. what I'm talking about. Doing the thing where it's like, the the picture that they have is they yeah. see an arm coming out from behind a wall shooting a phaser, and then they go right. rotate 18 degrees, and the image rotates, and you see who is behind the pillar, which is like there's no possible way you could ever know that for sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I've someday. I've using the word. I've been looking up the word fractal. I don't think that's the right word. So here I am pretending I know something about math, but I don't. <laughs> um, shit. Well, now it's going to bug me. I'll probably correct myself next podcast. But what did you? Uh, how did you feel about the reveal of where Mad Stan actually was in this VR <laughs> uh, VR simulation where he just gets to blow up government buildings? Uh, kind of a red flag the fbi might want to keep an eye on him um but i like that they're setting him up as this guy is is definitely coming back for some more fun yeah yeah i found it uh it was nice that he was alive but it was also kind of dystopic um a bit to be like yeah we've just got him strapped into this vr machine where he's just laughing and drooling like an idiot but right. the, what I thought the what I thought the reveal was going to be is I thought they were going to pull back and reveal that he was working for a construction company, and that right. he was just in charge of de- demolishing buildings. Right. You know, so <laughs> he's like going off about no more, no more banks, at, no more paying late fees at this bank, and then they were going to like pull back and it said condemned under whatever right. Gotham City, whatever, and he was the guy. But you know, VR works too. Right. All right, so it is fractals. I'm I'm correct in using that because uh, Arthur C. Clarke was talking about this once and uh, crossed over into my sci-fi brain. That's why I knew this term. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I stand. I'm I'm standing behind it. Okay, it's probably some like uh, FBI guy listening. <laughs> like fuck that. We don't have that technology. This kid's out of his mind. <laughs> you know, I did uh, when I was in college. I took a screenwriting class, and the the professor, a friend of his 
was his job. He worked in movies and TV, and his job was creating the mm-hmm. digital and computer programs that you see in movies or TV shows for like CSI or something, yeah. where they mm-hmm. put their information in and then they show you the computer. And he was in charge of like designing all that stuff. Yeah. And for whatever reason, it never occurred to me that someone actually had to like create that yeah. stuff. And so yeah. I was like, wait a minute. You're telling me that the facial recognition stuff that they use in movies isn't real? And he's like, no, of course it's not real. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, well. Wait a minute. Right. They they have facial recognition software that they use, right? I mean, now, yeah. But I'm talking like this was 20 years ago. And, oh, oh, and the yeah. stuff in my head was stuff from even before that where it's like right. a movie in 1999 is using – retina scan technology or facial recognition shit Got or, it. you know the stuff that was advanced yeah. at that time yeah yeah you know but, on uh, uh this this the cottage i have in new hampshire where you and i were writing zorro mm-hmm. i have a door that yeah you press my thumb to the middle of it and it recognizes my thumbprint and it opens up so it's back to future 2 which i think is pretty awesome nice um i would rather have the hoverboard of course or even the sneakers but i'll take a door Take you a gotta, door unlock. <laughs> you got to program your Alexa when you when you do that to do the thing from Back to the Future Two when it's like "Welcome home, King of the Castle." Uh, oh, so, what would you you're gonna give this one a five? Yeah, and that's a uh, beyond five, not a TOS five. Yeah, I what would agree. You? I think this is probably a beyond five because there's still it's just like the amount of time that they have to work with kneecaps it a bit, but. As far as the these shows for this for the episodes for this show have gone, this is probably one of the better ones we've seen. So I, yeah. I would agree with that. I would say it's a it's a yeah. beyond five. And I would draw a Mad Stan. I uh, I actually mm-hmm. drew Henry Rollins uh, into a book I did a long time ago called Off Road, where he was a cop, and it was because <laughs> I had just watched uh, the Chase with Charlie. Oh Sheen. yeah, yeah. And I, Henry was pretty wild in that. Uh, definitely ad living a lot. And uh, yeah, he drew his little chin dimple and his intense th- neck and all that. So nice. Yeah, if I ever meet him, I'm gonna. Well, I don't to bring that up. Remember <laughs> <laughs> when him. you used to be we'll really muscular? I drew that. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? Uh, I would. I would want to draw the fight with Mad Stan. Um, yeah. Where he's just hurling bombs at him like he's a Mega Man villain. That was pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that's gonna do it for what's this called? Eyewitness. We didn't even really yep. talk about the the villain but i mean it's it's such a, a a little bit at the end that it's like yeah, yeah okay fine sure whatever yeah they could use improving too like what exactly was his stake in all this but there's so many other ideas they spent time on where it's fine yeah. you know yeah again if they made this into more uh, of a three-parter then you could get into spellbinder and whatever i don't even yeah. know what he looks like honestly like have we ever seen him remove his mask uh i don't know i don't think think so i can't remember he's he's been in two or three episodes i think but i can't remember if they've shown him without a mask on spellbinder batman beyond well he is a character that uh dc already owns he looks like a silver age character Mm -hmm. um i don't see anything where his face is revealed at least on a quick google search so Oh, no, there's one. Uh, yeah, he's like a nerdy guy with glasses. Nothing to you. Yeah, him. that tracks. Oh, no. Okay, we do see his face. Yep, he's got like a, a, a dumb bowl cut. And do you know what uh, yeah. what episode it is? Does it say? Um, Batman Beyond Spellbound. IMDB. Clicking. Again, I know that everyone loves when they can listen to us Google things. Enhance. Uh, en- Enhance. <laughs> exactly. 
Uh, it's got a bunch of photos from the Wikipedia page on it, but if it's from Spellbound, um, I think that's a season one episode. I think we already did that one. Yeah, all cast and crew. I'm not gonna find it in the next minute, so we probably know what his face looks like. I don't remember the name of the episode though. Yeah, uh, Spellbound was in the first season. That was the first episode. It wouldn't surprise me if we see his face. Oh, you're right. It is Spellbound. I, yeah. I, I read it as Spellbinder. And, okay. That's what you get for speed reading. <laughs> All well, right. So, uh, yeah, uh, so get into uh, Zorro. And, man. Here. So I remember when I started um, Batman Beyond, I Beyond the White Knight, I texted everybody in our thread. I was like, man, I don't know how to draw anymore. Just fucking Batman. Like I look at my old stuff and sometimes I look at my old stuff and I'm like, this, this sucks. I want to redo it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I go, man, this is awesome. How did I do that? Um, and uh, I remember complaining to you guys that I, I think I forgot how to draw and you guys were all like, fuck you. You're going to figure it out. Like, <laughs> come on. Uh, and of course you were right. And um, I hit that again with Zorro. And I think what happens is uh, and you kept it to yourself like a man. I tried to. Yeah. I mean, I vented a little bit to Corinne and, I leaked it here and there, but I was trying. Uh, the short story is I pushed through for five or six pages, and then I find my feet. So yeah. I'm through it. But in the moment where I'm like, oh, how does my Zorro look? Uh, I've been drawing Batman, who's you know wearing black on black. You think I'd be able to just put a sword in his hand and give him a hat, you know? Mm-hmm. But um, then I I was exclusively looking at Alex Toth Zorro, and I find that Toth has one of those styles where if you start to study it, it starts to take over. Um, sure. Yeah. And not all styles are like this, but I find that if you study Mignola, it's just going to take over. Uh, Toth is the same way. The, the exaggerated, cartoony faces, the simple line work. Um, you know, Mike's stuff is pretty simple too, so maybe that's the thread. Um, because Mike only uses ten lines, where is uh, Mark Textera would use a, a hundred lines. Right, yeah. If you're going to start looking at Mike's stuff, those 10 lines are going to get in your head. Whereas if you're looking at a Sienkiewicz, you can use a lot of lines and it might not look like his. Maybe that's what I'm, I don't know. I haven't really given that a lot of thought yet. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm, I'm like, man, I feel like Zorro is Toth's character in a way. Like, again, if I was drawing Hellboy, I would be thinking I need to take the best of Mike and jam it with my own style. So it's, familiar but unique it still has a murphy flavor in there you know Mm -hmm. and um i don't know it was hard i i I think i didn't do enough sketching and just playing around on scrap paper i think i tried to dive into the pages too quickly i hadn't really thought about the um, black rendering pattern to use on zorro meaning what does his sash look like what are his gloves shiny because you have black sash black boots black tights you know, or is tights always black? Uh, do they yellow at all when the sun hits them? And, you know, I'm going to be using Zipatone too to really make this look old school. Mm-hmm. So I have to leave some white spaces, you know, stuff like that. Um, it's like a hundred little decisions that I, I thought I had settled on and I started drawing and I'm like, man, I, I don't think I've really gave us enough time yet. Mm-hmm. So I finished, I just kept pushing forward. I'm like, don't look back. Don't look at the older panels. Like they're just going to piss you off and, I'd rather start this project on a good note. So after six pages, I started to find my my feet. Um, and I went back and I fixed all the other panels. So I've got seven pages done and they're all tight and I'm happy with them. But what I also had to do is get rid of what I was trying to do that was too much toast. Because I'm 
I'm myself and people buy my art because of my look. Um, some people have said, who cares about Toth? You're way better than him, which I don't think I would agree with. <laughs> um, but, you know, in this process, you're really, it's forced me to study Toth in a way that I never have. It's one thing to crack his book open, to glance at it for 10 minutes when you're on the toilet and put it down. But it's another to like sit with it and be like, all right, he drew this guy this way, these eyebrows, this nose. He was really heavy on this cheekbone shadow. Like, I don't know if I like that. And I went from realizing Toth is perfect to Toth is uh, really good, but he's got some stinkers. He's got some bad panels, just like we all do, because Toth is human, right? Um, and the other part of this is uh, when you Google Toth, you'll start to see he like hand wrote little lessons to friends of his or uh, uh, I don't know. People, yeah. So he did a lot, and he had really great handwriting too. And I don't know if he used a ruler, but it's amazing how he was able to write all caps, of course. Um, <laughs> and he would write these like really interesting run-on sentences that were actually very well um, thought out. Uh, I don't know if it was stream of thought or whatever, but it was incredible. And uh, but he also sound like kind of a prick, honestly. And uh, he wrote some that were like basically attacking image artists was mm -hmm. uh what's wrong with one line a single line single line conveys all this information why cover it up with all this cross hatching and bullshit and blah 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 and it sounded like a guy i wouldn't really want to hang out with honestly like a, a nasty curmudgeonly old man which if you've uh read up on toth that's probably not too far off i'm sure he had good days and bad days yeah. whatever it is right um so i and there's one letter that he wrote where he was saying um just draw the face Stop with drawing a circle first. Don't draw the grid where the eyes are. Don't do the cross where the nose is supposed to be. Stop measuring. Just draw the face. And I would say to him, well, fuck you, Toth, because <laughs> your, your brain has a good map of where eyes and noses and mouths go. But uh, some people need to draw the, the, the measure it out first. Yeah. And that's okay. Like, just because your brain measures it out automatically, like, good for you. You're awesome at faces. But some people aren't. Um, and if he was alive, I would definitely push back on some of his, uh, some of his things. Um, so yeah, I don't know. What do you think about all that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's, I think he's amazing. I do think that I, I yeah, I think his, I've, I've seen some of those things, uh, that he's written. There's one, a famous mm. one where he's, I think it's a, a note that he wrote to Steve Rude where he basically yeah. just like tears apart this page that he had done for some book or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think I think those things are you can learn from a you can learn amazing things from someone like him who's doing that sort of breakdown. But mm. yeah, there is there is a certain um they they can have a certain annoyed quality that I think extends more towards if you're not doing it the way I'm doing it, then it's not the way you should do it. Which 100%. Which is not helpful, you know? Right. Because there's a million, a million different ways to handle something. Like, there are, there are certain aspects of that he goes into. Like, one is like, well, why don't put these... Everybody in this panel has their back to the camera. Don't do that. That's obviously not the way to do it. You know, these storytelling things, great. But if it comes down to the way that you construct it or, or that kind of thing. I think that's more leaning towards 
that's not how he would do it, and therefore he right. doesn't think it's the way to do it, which I, that's where I think it loses me. Yeah. I remember talking to John Paul Leone, and he was talking about Toth, and he goes, well, it all goes back to Toth. Because Toth really cracked the code. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. Mm -hmm. But Toth's style is like the perfect style for comics, like period. Yeah. Uh, simplicity, clarity, blocking, uh, energy, realism cartooning like he found the top of the mountain very quickly and um in a way and he must have known it so when toth is like i've found the best style to draw comics in none of you idiots seem to get that why are you doing it your way when clearly my way is better and the where he's right i think my taste where i do believe him is the best way to draw comics sequential art is you want to have flow, you want to have clarity, you want to have blocking, you want to have these things. You shouldn't be stopping and looking at the art too much. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, people will buy comics if they love the detail too. So a lot of people look at Toth and go, I don't get it. You know, Why isn't there more rendering? It's too simple. So right. it really is to each his own. But I, I do agree that Toth had, like John Paul, I agree with him that Toth did have the best style that does a lot of heavy lifting without a lot of rendering and he makes it look easy but if I was drawing simple Toth drawings on my pages I wouldn't be selling them for that much like what Toth what his style uh, disregards is um, interesting detail with really nice well thought out grays renderings illustration um, stuff that makes you stop and go, whoa, you know, Toth's style yeah. bravely doesn't do that, but you're missing something though. And not every style can do everything by the way, but his style specifically puts that stuff to the side. Like Toth is not interested in rendering. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, yeah, I, I know what you're saying, but I think that's also, you're getting into something that is, you're now putting a subjectivity onto it where it's like rendering doesn't in and of itself mean that something is worth more or a better piece of totally. art, you know? And so, totally. I mean, that's, I think that's why Mike, who has very simple art, uh, mm -hmm. his, there's his pages sell for a lot of money and he, it's not because he rendered the shit out of a, out of a face or something. You know what I mean? Like, so there's, yeah. I think there's, I think what's, what's the divide that's there is that, <clears throat> Um, there is no right, like there's, I think Toth's style is perfect for comics in a very, uh, uh, high concept sort of way in that, okay, the way that he breaks down his panels, the, uh, clarity of image, the amount of black versus white that he uses, it's, it's, it's practically perfect, right? Which is fine, but... I don't think that that means that's the only way things should should be done because if you think about like is Alex Toth's work any more or less valuable than Mobius who is very much on the other side of the spectrum as far as the number of lines he's putting on a page um yeah. but is no less yeah. competent yeah. in the construction of his image or the the page as a whole you know so I think right. it's just it's I think there's some there's a certain amount of just uh what's the word I'm looking for alchemy mm -hmm. involved 
as far as like what makes it good versus what what makes it right, what makes it wrong. I don't necessarily know if there is a right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, more than just personal preference, you know, because yeah. there are some comic artists who are incredibly heavy in detail that I don't personally. It does not really speak to me that much, but other people right. love, you know. Yeah. So it it is it is weird to try and break it. I think I think what it comes down to is when you are as deep in the weeds as we are as far as mm-hmm. doing this for a career and like really dedicating yourself to it, you are yeah. you are going to either consciously or unconsciously set up your own guidelines and then compare mm-hmm. other people to those which right. is a bit of projection on your own stuff, you know? Right. And I think what is important is to be able to realize, okay, I have what works for me. I don't really need to compare myself to other people or tear them down because they're not doing mm-hmm. things the way that I am. And I'm not saying that's yeah. that's what you're doing or that's what he was doing, but I think it's I think it's just as a creative person, you get mm-hmm. into a zone, right? Where it's like you're yeah. you're doing your thing, you have your idea of how you're doing it. And if something doesn't conform to that or something doesn't come in the same way, you're naturally going to kind of push it away. I'm like, well, I don't, I don't have time for that. You know? So I think yeah. it's, I, unfortunately, I think it's just a, a, it's a, it's a result of focusing and, and sharpening your own tool so finely mm-hmm. that it, it ends up spreading to, to other places, even when maybe it's not necessarily, um, right. yeah. uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Appropriate's not the right word, but you know what I mean? Yeah, um, a few things. One is, I think the most the layman will look at comic book art and go, "I like seeing more lines because it looks like there's more effort put in." Sure. Like yeah. I like looking at art because I want to see detail, mm-hmm. and more lines means more detail, and that's correct. But uh, Toth and Mike leave out detail. It's still there in the drawing, if that right. makes sense. Like yeah. you don't have to over render a face to make it yeah. look good, convincing. And there's something Mike and Toth do that is magic because they're able to make less is more work. And it's like, man, why did he pull off this feeling I'm getting with so few lines? Yeah. It is brave not to have to over render. But rendering is also energy. And some people like to see the art's been worked on. They don't want to see barely rendered piece. They mm-hmm. think that it's lazy. And they're like, well, I want to see more lines. And I know art collectors and people who read comics, if you're not rendering enough on a face, they just think it's lazy. You know, subjective. But then there's um, Sienkiewicz rendering, which can be wild and use a ton of lines. And he's getting a, his style does, a, does heavy lifting in a way that Alex Toth doesn't. Mm-hmm. And of course, I think Sinkavich and Toth are both gods, right? Yeah. But then you have 90s rendering where it's like, all right, yes, you used a lot of lines and cross-hatching on faces, but you're doing it as a gimmick because that's what you think people want to see. Right. So there's like, there's good rendering and there's bad rendering. And I would say a lot of 90s rendering was bad rendering. And a lot of layman's would say, well, look at all that amazing effort that went into those 90s pages. That's more interesting to me than what Toth did. Um, and yeah, that's fine, but I feel like if you're going to go wild with rendering, you better have a good reason. And oh, totally. Sinkavich yeah. uses it. It's it's because he's getting energy and written. The other thing too is you can go back and look at Sinkavich and get more and more and more and more out of it every yeah. time. 
when you've seen Toth, you're like, yep, I've seen that panel. Like, I can only stare at this for so long because there's not a lot here to really ponder. Mm. But that's what Toth was doing because he didn't want you to stall on this panel. He wanted right. you to keep reading. So right, he did it on yeah. purpose. Whereas <laughs> if I'm going to buy a page of art and really keep it in my brain, in the gallery of my brain of like, man, I fucking love Sienkiewicz. And every time I look at Sienkiewicz and Topi and whoever, I see things that I didn't see before. And that's when Toth's stuff becomes less interesting, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that would piss him off, but it's interesting the style. <laughs> or maybe pick. not. He might be the kind of guy who's like, "Yeah, I mean, I don't give a yeah. shit." It's but I, he, I mean, say, he did so much. He did so much work in those non-archival, non-archival markers that it's like fading anyway. It's like it was just yeah, the easiest good job, tool. Alex, in front of him, by right? the way, <laughs> yeah, rendering on shitty computer paper. Yeah, like it's, you could argue you didn't really care about the the yeah archival nature of what the hell you're doing. Um, but he would say, maybe he would say, I love what Sienkiewicz is doing. That's illustration. That's not comic book art. Sure. That's not storytelling. Yeah. I could see that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's but again, interesting. Even like there... What your style is designed to do, you know? Yeah. Because the style gonna... you pick, sorry. No, no. The style ahead. you pick can't do everything. Like a style you pick, like mine is designed for enough rendering. I want some speed in there. I want energy, but I do want Toth simplicity every now and then. Yeah. But what I'm never going to give you is um, like a hard boiled that uh, I forget the name of the artist. Oh, Jeff Darrow. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm never going to give you Jeff Darrow detail. That's just not what my stuff is about. It's not yeah. designed to handle that. It's designed to find a happy medium between rendering, storytelling, energy, a little bit of manga, some mood. And that's why I built it, whether I realize it or not. And your style is built in a similar way where I want looseness and brushiness and I want chaos. Right. Um, yeah. We're not trying to be clean. We're not trying to be J. Scott Campbell or Jim Lee. You know, it's just interesting how different styles are capable of handling different things. Yeah. What I was going to say was, I, I, I think it comes down to what, when you're talking about, he might look at Sinkevich and say, well, that's illustration. That's not comics. That's not storytelling. It's like, I yeah. think it depends on what you consider storytelling to be and his Toth's right. idea of yeah. that might be completely different because i mean if you look at yeah. a page of sinkevich's work like a, a splash page where he renders the shit out of an office building or something yeah is is why is that not storytelling he's you know he's yeah. telling story he's telling the story of the image with every line he puts on the page exactly you know yeah yeah i it's remember like, somebody go ahead i was just gonna say it's like it's like if you if you take like Ingwi Malmsteen and B.B. King, right? They, I don't think either one of them, they're both masters of the guitar, but the number of notes that B.B. King will use in a guitar solo is like one one hundredth of the amount of notes Ingwi Malmsteen will use. Yeah. But there is, there, is an, there is an artistry to the fact that they are doing the same thing. They are expressing the same thing. It's just that the, the the way they choose to do it is 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 different. Yeah, yeah. I think if Toth is um, less is more folk music, then you've got the guy from Extreme who can play like <laughs> Bill Sienkiewicz. Yes. And sometimes I'm in the mood for Extreme, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. I remember someone when I was learning about storytelling. It was a my friend was trying to teach me about a specific type of storytelling where it was like clarity, simplicity flow, moment to moment, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said to him, well, I really like Travis Ture. And he said, fuck Travis Ture. That guy can't tell a story. <laughs> and I'm like, sure. Okay. So Tra Travis is not uh, concerned with 
clarity and storytelling. Like every panel is an illustration that's meant to stop you in your tracks. Yeah. It does because it's amazing. Um, but there was a panel he was drawing Wildcats and um, he had this great rendering of Grifter uh, doing some Black Ops shit. And uh, because Grifter's mask hangs down with gravity, he was actually upside down. And Travis was like, oh man, well, you're going to see his face if I draw the scene. So he had the idea to put a strap under it because he had goggles on too. And that was a way to keep him looking like Grifter while also being upside down and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And uh, like what you just said, that he is telling me a story. Right. Even though it's not Alex Toth smoothness and clarity, it still is like the story of a guy who wears a mask and it's hanging upside down and he knew this. And like, they're still there. Like it's not sequential art storytelling it's right. definitely illustration storytelling and i think there has to, what i'd say to toth is first of all you got to calm the fuck down stop <laughs> writing these letters second is stop telling people how to drop faces get off social media too third would be um what oh, about that would be a nightmare alex toth on oh social media oh my god uh, yeah it's like when you accidentally ask your grandparent the wrong question yeah. about black people yeah. and then you're like "Ooh, slow down grandma come on <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, if Toth, and you must have sensed this in some way, when you have a bunch of, uh, he's doing a sequential art storytelling, that looks awesome. Then he does a splash page. He's got to know that this is designed to slow you down. And you've got to take a little more time on rendering to be more of an illustrator today. Stop trying to be a sequential artist today. Just be an illustrator. Like there's ways where you can ebb and flow into different natures of storytelling throughout a comic. You know, it doesn't all have to be sequential art. It can still be illustration and experimentation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the, the things I think about from his art a lot is uh, there is a story that he drew. It's um, it's about these Roman guards. And then the, the twist of the story is you turn it. The last page is a splash page. They're the Roman guards who are at the crucifixion. Oh yeah, and so the last page is the splash page of the three crosses with with uh, Jesus and the other two guys there, mm -hmm. uh, the pips I think I don't remember. Yeah. Um, they and uh, and I was reading about it, and the 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 image, the final image that was printed was the crosses are all done in silhouette; they're completely blacked out, right? Mm -hmm. And someone was saying they saw the original art, and up close they realized that he had rendered the entire thing. He had rendered the crosses. He had rendered the figures on the crosses completely out. They could see like the pen marks. And mm -hmm. so what they realized is he rendered the whole thing and then realized, no, the best way to do this is if I just black it out. And so yeah. he it, he made that storytelling choice that just the shadows of the crosses would be more impactful than if he had done a fully rendered Jesus with the, cr yeah. the crown of thorns and bleeding and stuff. And... I, I think about yeah. that a lot, A, because that shows how much thought goes into how mm -hmm. simple his art is. But at the same time, it's the kind of thing where it's like there's probably someone else who would have the exact opposite thought and be like, no, I yeah. think for this shot, in order to really get across what is going on here, and like I, I need to render them. I need you to see it. And so it, it yeah. is, it's one of those things where I don't – is there a right answer? Is there a wrong answer? I, I don't know. But it's, it, is, yeah. it is really interesting to think about art creation in that sense where yeah there are so many different ways you can go with the same problem yeah I, I think what got me over my hump uh was i said i i can't fit alex toth into my art everywhere yeah but if i'm drawing um i have a priest 
in the background or a bunch of uh, narcos who are different character, you know, different character actors would play them basically. Mm -hmm. So I have guy with big mustache, guy with no chin, guy with ponytail, whatever, different shapes. And I thought, well, that's where Alex Toth goes is rendering those guys. So sure. normally I would have rendered them my own way, but I think I can try to be more like Toth here and go a little more cartoony and just see how it feels. But when it comes to um, backgrounds and everything else, like I, I have a way I draw cars. I have a way I draw, put the camera and this and that, like don't change that. Alex Toth doesn't belong there. Yeah. But I can certainly think of him when it comes to um, characters, um, expressions, uh, and simple blocking. It's something I always try to use. Yeah, like I, the Where Toth is obvious in my work and where his work is obvious in Mignola's, his blocking and where to put blacks and the staging of characters mm -hmm. um, and finding um, simple ways, simple techniques that can do a lot of heavy lifting for you. You know, it's not obvious to people that aren't artists because they're sort of looking for that tell. Oh, that's how this guy draws this thing. This is how that's how he draws Spider-Man. But if you're an artist, you can sort of see like, oh, I see you using the not using the chords from the other artists, but I can see you um, finding a new way to write, rewrite the whole song. Yeah, that's. That makes sense. Sure. So yeah, I, when I realized to like stop injecting Alex uh, Toth everywhere, just use him here, here, and there, you know? Um, and it's interesting because like I love uh, Ashley Wood is another artist I love. Mm. He, he uses like um, calligraphy nibs oh, yeah. uh, to render and it's like gross and chalky, but it works. And he purposefully uses paper that bleeds a little bit because mm -hmm. he thinks ble bleeding is cool, which is the way I just said it, it does sound cool. <laughs> but he doesn't really do a lot of backgrounds. Um, his focus is on the figure and you can imagine a background and it doesn't look blank because he's got a way of rendering right. foreground. You don't need backgrounds, but I'm telling a story here and I just can't afford to be all Ashley Wood. So I have to find a, I can't afford to do, to be as experimental on my foreground figures because if I start rendering the background that way, everything's going to be mud. So, you know, to, uh, Ashley Wood has said, my art doesn't require backgrounds as much. He'll find a way to do them in his own way. But if you read his sequential art, it's like very suspiciously like, where the fuck are the backgrounds in this mm -hmm. comic? And you can tell he's just not interested in that shit, which is yeah. good for him, you know? But it's interesting to know, like, I love this artist, but I don't want to take everything from them. I just want to know where I can inject them appropriately. Because if you try to force them onto your art in too many places, it won't work. You need to figure out how you're different and... Yeah, just try to be balanced with it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a constant evolution, you know. Yeah, yeah. I uh, part of me wants to have known Alex Toth. Part of me is happy not to have met him. <laughs> I think you know, if he's going to be a dick, then uh, I'm, I think I'm good. <laughs> yeah, it's probably better just to hear about stories from, from people who did know him. Yeah, he's definitely a uh, don't meet your heroes type of guy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think even um, uh, Tim Sale uh, and a friend went to his house in L.A. and just knocked on his door uh, and they knew what they were going to get. And of course, he was like a little curmudgeonly and rude, but they were ready for it. Um, I might not be telling the story correctly. And that's so I apologize. But yeah, I don't know. I wonder, do you think people are going to have that impression of you one day? Like when you're 80 and they're like, man, I knocked on Clay's door and he's exactly like I thought he was, you know? <laughs> he's behind not, a synthesizer. Listen, and... Man, I'm not telling people where I live. Come on. 
I I'm hoping I'm hoping it's like I'm like Daniel Plainview at the end of uh, There Will Be Blood, where they just kind of walk in, and I'm at the end of a long yeah. hallway behind a desk that I've been at for 15 hours, and I just start throwing shoes at them to tell them to get the hell out. Yeah, yeah, man. The- also, your backgrounds are terrible. Now get out of my house. Stop measuring your faces, fuckhead. Just draw them. Like, don't do anything differently. I've found the best style. You have access to the entire internet in this future that I'm dying in, so there's no reason you can't get reference to draw a goddamn phone. Yeah. Oh, Alex. Mm. He needs an angry translator, just like uh, Obama had in Key and Peele. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I think he handled it pretty well on his own. I think... <laughs> <laughs> anyway okay i think that's yeah. gonna i think that's gonna do it do it yep. for us today um well, i do you. have one more request oh yeah for people sure. listening uh i'm having audio issues and if anybody is an audio nerd can you help me out here is i notice my microphone isn't recording me when i laugh almost like some kind of a it's filtering out flapping snapping if i drop something like any kind of mic popping this, it's Sean, just not picking Sean, it up. I don't. You don't need to pretend that my jokes are funnier than they are by <laughs> saying, "Oh, it's the computer that's not picking up my." I, I get it. It's fine. No, I mean, I, it just annoys me because you're you're much clearer on this than my audio, and I don't know what I switched on or off. But if someone can tell me, like I'm using a blue ice ball or snowball mic, I'm using Audacity, I'm using Discord, and I something clicked on and I cannot figure it out. I've Googled it. So if you have any ideas, you can help me out. Thank you, because I, yeah, I'm tired of listening to myself, and I know that I laughed. It's part of the inflection, and it's gone because my microphone doesn't think it's interesting when I laugh. <laughs> I just pipe it in. I have a canned laughter button that I just pipe in, so that's why it, well, it always sounds like we're doing this in front of a live studio audience. It's funny if you just canned laughtered me just to make me sound like <laughs> shit. Yeah, next, next time, next time we hang out, I'll bring a mic and make sure to just do some room tone of you just laughing at different stages of intensity. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, uh, thank you guys for listening. Um, if you want to help support the show, check out patreoncom slash file. Uh, and next time we'll be watching oh shit I just lost it this is season 2 and the last episode we watched was Eyewitness so the next two episodes are Final Cut and The Last Resort thanks guys we'll see you later.